In our breakout and best-selling book, Looking for Angels, A Guide to Understanding and Connecting with Angels, Dr. Scott Guerin and I share how you can communicate with angels, understand signs from the universe and these celestial beings, feel at peace knowing you are always connected to source, and much more. Get your copy today at lookingforangelsbook.com, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore. And now you can even get the audio version narrated by me and Scott through Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. You are listening to A Psychic Story, a podcast that shares behind-the-scenes insights of people who lead supernatural lives among the ordinary. And I'm your host, Nicole Bigley. Join me every Wednesday as I dispel the myths behind magic and lore. Welcome to A Psychic Story. Mysticism everyone. Welcome to this episode of A Psychic Story. Today, we have Athena Laz. Athena is a depth psychologist, dream guide, fourth generation intuitive, and now she's a book author. She has her debut book, The Alchemy of Your Dreams, A Modern Guide to the Ancient Art of Lucid Dreaming and Interpretation. Welcome to the show, Athena. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat. Yes. Well, I love the whole topic about dreams. Like I've had a couple other episodes with guests on where we've talked about it, but as far as like, I just feel like there's so much to it. Obviously you've written a book about it. So we'll get into that in a little bit and what that looks like, but you're doing more of a deep dive into the transformation and the power of our dreams. But before we get into that, share your story. So you're a fourth generation intuitive and what did that look like growing up and tell us all the things. So what that looked like for me was that when I was younger, I experienced a lot of psychic events and a lot to do with what was coming up in the future. And I grew up in a family uh, with parents who were very open-minded. And from one side of the family, they, you know, going back to my great-grandmother, they every single generation lived through a war. And through those experiences, I really feel my family line managed to hone into their intuition and and really use it because they needed to. And so I was lucky enough to grow up in a safe place and didn't have to go through something like that. And it was something that was acknowledged in, in my family system but wasn't spoken about out in the rest of the world. You know, maybe to... Um, other people or friends or family that we trusted, but it wasn't something that was just, you know, widely spoken about. So I've always been intuitive and, you know, I went through school, did the whole story and I hit my twenties. And that's kind of, for me, was a time period that got a bit challenging because I was at a point in my life where I really needed to decide, like, what am I going to do? But a lot of what you do is about who you are authentically. Mm-hmm. And so, this huge part of me had been hidden for such a long time and I really struggled to find a path. Well, not struggled. I just, I really didn't want to do what I think I needed to do. So that's kind of how that all came up for me. And then along my, um, you know, along the path, along my twenties, 
I decided I wanted to study psychology. I wanted to study esoteric uh, books and meditation. And I just really became this like vacuum for information. <laughs> um, and through, through sort of that journey, here I am now. I've written my first book and I, sh- I show people how to connect not only with their dreams, but really to the intuitive worlds, um, really to the language of the universe. That's what I think that is. Um, dreams are just such a powerful pathway because when we sleep, we really get out of our own way. Um, so that's me in a nutshell. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned something powerful and that is the, that your family having gone through times of war, they needed to use their intuition almost like a survival skill as I would imagine it it, to go inward in a lot of ways. What were some things when you were growing up, you mentioned you were intuitive or are intuitive. What was it that you were experiencing and what was it, I guess, that your family members, like how, what are their gifts and abilities? I think it's very much for me when I was um, much younger, like very young, I would often see things. So a lot of clairvoyance, but it freaked me out quite a bit when I was younger. And so along the way, I think I completely switched that off. And even to this age now, I'm much more comfortable hearing messages than I am seeing them. Although, um, you know, it ebbs and flows for me, at least visually. Mm-hmm. So so that's how that kind of came up for me, as well as dreaming. Dreaming's always been very meaningful to me because I often receive a lot of insight through my dreams. So that's kind of how it comes up for me. But for the rest of my family members, some people, it's just this like deep knowing. It's that you know, that like in your body, you just know something and you can't, you can't deny it. And then a lot of clear audience, I guess, all the way, all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> Part of your book though, that really spoke to me was, it says, I sleep so that I may see. And so also right when you were saying that, the dreams were a way or a channel, a format, I guess, of you to be able to communicate with the universe and see those signs. So what are they? You mean, what are the signs? Yeah, what are the signs or what, um, I guess, even the way we dream, maybe that's a better way of approaching it is the way we dream are different reasons. Like you have, for example, a section of recurring dreams and what that looks like. But what are the types of dreaming states that people have, number one? I guess maybe we can start there. So I think the main thing that I sort of the structure that I outline in my book is that every night when we sleep, we are linking, we are the link between the mundane world and the spiritual world, right? And so that's the greater framework of all dreaming. And then within dreaming, you get so many layers to it, right? So you have your um, sort of everyday symbolic dreams, and you have your repetitive dreams, then you can have your nightmares, your announcing dreams, your healing dreams, and then you get your lucid dreams. And then, but all of those dreams are not, they're not one dimensional. They have many levels. And dreaming is very much about consciousness because once you move away from the idea that dreaming is something that happens to you passively and it's actually something that you are, believe it or not, active in, but in tandem with what I call spirit. So it's your psyche in tandem with spirit your dream life changes completely. Also, for better or worse, dreaming is something that happens to us every single night, right? So I always hear from people, they'll often say to me like, oh, you know, I only have mundane dreams or 
I've never experienced something amazing in my sleep. Or, and then I'll say, well, do you pay attention to them? Do you wake up and do you listen? Do you listen? And often people, they'll say, no, you know, it's just because I just don't. Or I have one or two dreams and I'll forget about it. So I think working with the full spectrum of dreaming and understanding that every single dream, no matter what format it comes in, whatever shape it comes in, is helpful is a very good place to start because it means that you're getting the right dream at the right time. And I really believe that you get the right dream at the right time, even if it's deeply uncomfortable. And in fact, if it is deeply uncomfortable, even more reason to listen, because that's really, you know, even just from a psyche perspective, something really trying to get your attention, but also from a spiritual perspective, that might just be a huge red flag waving at you and the potential to avoid a disaster. Um, a disaster is such a loaded word, but, you know, maybe it is or maybe something very uncomfortable can come through you, through your dreaming. And how helpful is that? And it requires about 10 minutes worth of time in the morning. And so, you know, that's just normal dreaming, never mind the practice of lucid dreaming and then the different states of lucid dreaming. Yeah, you said something which is, I've had people say, well, I don't dream, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, we all dream. You just may not be recalling your dreams because you're, you said, like not trying or putting in that time and the attention to be able to do a deeper dive into what that looks like. And as soon as you're open to it and you reflect, like you said in the morning, whether it's writing anything down that you remember and even how you're feeling, like you might not visually recall things in that dream state, but how you're feeling when you first get up in the morning, that's another indicator that I found. And as soon as you start to do that and make it more of an intention and a practice, then you do remember more, right? And then you can control your dreams a little bit, like what you get into with your book. So what is lucid dreaming for those that may not be familiar with it? What does that look like? So on a very basic level, loose or basic a fundamental level, lucid dreaming is a dream in which you recognize that you're dreaming. So your body is still sound asleep. Physiologically, you are asleep, but your consciousness, your awareness, it's actually a better word, your awareness has woken up to the fact that you are now in a dream reality or the dream world or the spirit world, whatever you want to call it, right? And so... Um, in the West, lucid dreaming is often spoken about in a very sort of controlling manner, um, in quite an egoic manner, actually. It's very much about having fun in your dreams, which actually I'm all for at the beginning, right? Go for it. Uh, fly, learn how to breathe underwater, do things so that you become proficient as a lucid dreamer. I'm really not against that. But it's actually a tool. It's not the goal. Lucid dreaming is the vehicle that you use to become acquainted with the consciousness of who you are and the reality of who you are. It's also what ancient cultures, um, you know, every single, almost every single ancient culture in the world speaks about this, about how lucid dreaming is the practice that takes you into different states of reality so that you can dream for yourself, but also for the collective for the well-being of the collective and so it's very much almost like meditation meditation in itself is not the goal meditation is the tool you use to become you know more centered that's one level then to get better acquainted with you know the reality of who you are and then to find ultimately stillness and it depends i guess on your you, you know, whatever framework you're coming from. But really, I think we all kind of land up in the same place to, to connect with the reality of 
what's behind all symbols and image and this perception of like who we are, you know, so greater consciousness. So you said the ancients, um, so I guess our ancestors recognize mm-hmm. this as a tool. What were some things that they, and how was that passed down? So it was a tool that different cultures kind of share that theme throughout, but how did they use it and why was it lost a little bit? Because it's not part of modern day society as much, right? As it was back then. It's really not. I think two things happened. I think as societies became more industrialized, I think the communal way of living really shifted. And I think that dreaming was very much centered around community and, and, you know, groups of people come together in the morning and share their dreams. And I think that split up. And then I very much think in the Western a collective that dreaming then was reduced down to a psychological way of thinking um which at the time i don't think the intention was uh, you know a negative intention or negative intent it just i don't think it did dreaming justice um because really you know if you look at it from like a freudian point of view if your dreams are all about like repressed sexual desire that's very off putting for many people on a conscious level you know so and we very much dismiss what we don't really like to look at and dreaming kind of became part of that and then also the one more thing on top of that is because the practices of dreaming are so powerful and that they have a direct influence on waking reality and a lot of training would usually go into people who would become i guess master dreamers right so if you look at hinduism or you look at Bon Buddhism, they have entire doctrines, not the right word, like sutras, better word for it, of dream yoga and sleep yoga. If you want to train in lucid dreaming through a Bon Buddhist perspective, it can take you up to three years to just get started, right? You go and you sit in a, in a you know, a monastery and they have something called like an ego coffin box. It's this box that you sit up in and you, you know, you sleep in there, you meditate in there, and it's really so that you have no distraction so that you can really become acquainted with that part of yourself. From the Bon Buddhist perspective, the goal isn't um, manip- manipulating the material world. It's more about enlightenment because after death, the Buddhists believe Bon Buddhism separate to, it's different to general Buddhism, right? They believe that you have this after state upon dying. It's the bardo state. And in that state, it lasts for, I think, 41 days. I could be wrong about it, the timeline. And in that time, you are given dream. You experience what are like dreamlike images. And in that experience, if you are lucid, right, if you are able to maintain lucidity and aware, you can avoid, I don't know if avoid is the right word either, but you can avoid this the reincarnation cycle or at least be reincarnated into a better image, right, a better story, I guess. I don't think they would explain it in those words. That's very much my take on it, but it just speaks to the traditions of them. And then if you look at Native American cultures, lucid dreaming and dream practices are passed down through oral tradition. So it's, it is difficult in the West to find people who are, are good at lucid dreaming and come from a place of integrity. I think where it's not just an egoic pursuit, but as I say that, I've also worked with tons of people all over the world. Like my book currently, it's, it's so amazing to me, the thought of this. It's being published in something like 
10 different countries and I've had the opportunity to speak to people from like Korea and just everywhere and I think everyone's feeling disconnected you know from their dreams so I don't think it's particularly just a thing in the west I think it's all over I think it's actually more a modern issue than it is a cultural one mm-hmm. yeah where do we go when we dream because, and that may be a loaded question, there may be different places that we go, but you mentioned awareness and then we have our soul. So is it a dimension? Is it a place? Is it, what does that look like as far as when we dream? I think that is a complex question. I don't think I even have the answer for that, right? For me, what it, it feels like, depending on the level of dreaming that I'm doing, I would say that it's actually you in um, the thrill you in spirit, right? And then from there, depending on, you know, if you're just in a dream state, you're not lucid, you can't move into like an astral space because you're kind of stuck. But I don't know if that's just one space that we have greater consciousness so it becomes broader to us or if it's multiple places. But I do know this, right? If you become a lucid dreamer, you can explore that for yourself. And they're very good practices and techniques that you can do that will keep you safe in that exploration. You mentioned also something important, which I think is even just in the Buddhist tradition of looking at this, that it can take three years and that's the intro, right? I think a lot of times too is being human beings on this earth, having spiritual beings actually having this human experience. We tend to go with that egocentric or that human base where we think it needs to be immediate. Right. Yeah. And it is a is it's a process. It's a it's a way of a tool that we need to learn to use and revisit because it isn't as prevalent as you mentioned in the modern day society as much and to kind of figure out where it is and how you want to use it and to learn and grow from it is a huge process. Right. And what's wonderful about it is that it happens for us every single night, right? And I think taking the pressure off the need for it to ha- be this thing that happens immediately is that it can be very helpful. Um, so that's it's almost something that you're doing, it becomes part of your life rather than something that is happening to you and kind of you go, you know, like, uh, what, what was that weird dream? What the hell? And then like you forget <laughs> about it. Um, but that said, though, I must say, with lucid dreaming, I think there is very much something within us all that wants us to become lucid. And I often think it's why we dream. I mean, I have no proof of this. It's just my thought of it. You know, I really think it's why we dream of things that are often very out of place and strange and bizarre. Because if you become a bit more mindful in your waking life, it carries through into your dream state. And, you know, say you're having this dream that you're at your sister's house and you're walking through the house like usual. You have no idea that you're dreaming. It's real. It's as real as you and I talking right now. For that moment in time, the dream is real, right? But then you walk outside and you see there she is in the pool with a pink flamingo and you're like, oh, wait, (laughs) something's not quite right here. And in that moment, that anomaly is there, I really believe, so that that trigger of lucidity can happen so that you can connect deeper to the soulful messages that come up in dreaming and remember them better you know and I really really feel that because that's you know the minute you become lucid you can ask direct questions that are not always easy to access in waking life like you can directly meet your guides you can uh, travel through different time 
lines you can do very mystical things and very easily um you know so it's incredible it's actually an incredible practice how long does it normally take people so i am going to go to the timeline question right of if let's say somebody is starting out with this completely doesn't have any experience with it and reads your book and starts to walk through kind of that process and i know each person would be different but how long does it usually take them to be able to open up and to experience the different levels of the dreaming states that you're going through, especially on the lucid dreaming side? It's so funny because when I was working with the team at um, Tasha Perigee that published the book, a lot of the feedback that I was getting from a lot of their friends and family and just kind of talking, you know, people saying like, oh, I never remember my dreams. I can't remember my dreams. And then just through reading or talking about it, your dreams come back quite quickly that at least has been my experience and now they people are like oh my gosh I wish my dreams weren't so loud I just need to <laughs> stop having such intense dreams so I really think it's you know it's person dependent but actually my experience of it is that for most people it shifts very quickly and for lucid dreaming it is a bit of a process in not getting despondent if it doesn't happen immediately. I've worked with, you know, I've had workshop participants. Some of them don't become lucid during the retreats, but six months later they will. Other people will become lucid that night. And so it really, I think, is an individual journey. And I think it's also very much if you're, you know, spiritually ready to become a lucid dreamer, you will, because I think you're you're in direct contact with, I, I guess, your soul. Maybe that's, you are your soul when you're dreaming, so I don't see a split, you know, but you're in direct contact with something so so luminous, and that is just amazing. And I, I think for a lot of people, sometimes the thought of that is exciting, but can also be quite overwhelming. And and so it just really, really alters. I must say, though, since the book has come out, I've also gotten messages on Instagram. Funny enough, no one's brave enough just yet to post like on the actual posts, like on the wall in a way. I've been getting a lot of kind of private messages about people saying, oh, my word, I've had this lucid dream and I've done this and this. And I think it's just really exciting at the beginning, actually which is also quite cool. I used to have a lot of lucid dreams when I was younger, probably mm. because it was fresher when I was born here, that it just was a tool that I didn't even know it was a tool. I was just using it because it was natural. And then as I've been getting older, it's less and less. I don't think, I mean, I'm sure I have, but you mentioned communicating with your spirit guides and like the other realm. And what does that look like for you? So when you're in a lucid dream or you're communicating with them, how do they show up? It depends on what I'm asking for, but oftentimes it'll be like, uh, so what I do in Lucid Dream, it's a practice. I also share the full depth of it in the book for anyone curious, right? I will clear out any symbols or projections, right? So that tip comes from another Lucid Dreamer who was like the OG Lucid Dreamer back in the 80s. And he says, projections be gone. Um, I think he, he, I know his name is Robert Wagner, right? So he says, projections be gone. So I followed suit with that. And so whenever I'm in a lucid dream, that's what I do. Projections be gone. Symbols be gone. And then whatever I'm dealing with is not part of my psyche. It's not part of my inner world. Sometimes there is overlay, but for the most part, that just works to clear out anything. And then yeah, I'll ask, I'll say, you know, um, it was so funny at the beginning of this process when I was rekindling lucid dreaming. 
earlier on, much, much earlier on in my 20s, I thought, okay, I'm going to find my guide. You know, I'd had lots of intuitive experiences in my waking life and I hear things, but like I wanted like a visual, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to meet my guide face to face. We're going to have this epic time. And I became lucid in a lot of dreams. And I'd say, oh, you know, I want to meet my guide and I'd clear the projections. And I found all these people, beings in my um, lucid dream would, would tell me your guides in the market next door is in the market next door. And it's, it was like a market, like, I don't know if, if you've um, you know, ever, ever traveled to like the Middle East or anything, mm-hmm. but like a proper, Egypt, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, there we are. So well, I'd love to go to Egypt, but like, like <laughs> a shuk, right? <laughs> right. Like a market. And so I spent a couple of lucid dreams doing that. And I realized the way I was wording it, not looking to find my guide. I'm looking to meet my guide. And so I said, I'm ready. I'm ready to meet you. And and then my guide appeared in front of me. And so I do think also when you work in the dream state, um, how you interact with what you see is different than the waking state. And so for me, that was a physical being person, um, but it can really change. It can, it can change completely. It can be a disembodied voice. You know, it, I really feel also for the most part, and this is very much part of intuition anyway, guides will appear to you in a way that feels comfortable and safe. And um, so for some people, that's an animal. It's much more comfortable, right? And, and I think the same rule applies in a dream state. The only difference with the dream world, right? And this is a story that I share in the book is that you can also meet other lucid dreamers and not realize that they're lucid. So not oh, everyone. Really? Yeah. Wow. So okay. there's a professor, she's an artist and a professor, I think also of psychology, and she had the goal of meeting the omniscient part of herself in her lucid dreams. And she held that dream intention for something like two years. And during that time, she met with a Buddhist lama she woke up and internalized it in a way that she thought it was a valuable uh, part of her psyche, herself, her spirit, her soul. Um, she thought it was part of her. And something like 12 years later, she was at a conference on, I think, on dreaming. <laughs> I <never laughs> You know. Funny how the universe works that way. <laughs> Synchronicities of it. <laughs> right. Like a wicked sense of humor. And and she met him. She met the, the Buddhist who she met in her dreams. And he you know, they were they recognized each other from the dreamscape and she went then went on to train with him further, both in waking and in dreaming. So in the dreamscape, the only thing is that you have to be quite um discerning about who you're meeting because it is an open space much like a market I guess maybe that is why that also came up you know so you do have to have your wits about you because you might be meeting a person you might be meeting a projection of your own self but you also do meet a spirit or if spirit's an uncomfortable word for people whatever you want to call it right being angel guide Well, that is interesting, though, because I guess it totally makes sense that I have heard stories where or I've actually had the experiences, too, where I've had a dream and then it might be a friend or a family member in that dream. They may have been in my dream with me, but we're actually communicating in that dream state together. It it totally makes sense then if you think about it, that you're going to be connected or make connections with other people that are dreaming that right now you may not have a physical connection to because you haven't met them physically, but in the future or whatever else, and then they show up or even just on the spiritual level, right? 
maybe you're not supposed to necessarily meet them in your day-to-day lifetime, but you do in that dream state. So that totally makes sense. Yeah. And it's quite an amazing thing. I mean, for sort of new age contemporary thinkers, right? The, with the work of Abraham Hicks. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I like their work and also dislike it for some things. But the Abraham Hicks says that lucid dreaming is you're in the vortex of your creation. And if you're lucid dreaming, you're the closest to what you're manifesting you can see. And so when you um in that state of just viewing in a lucid dream, right? Or just you're not clearing out your projections, you're not putting your own goals onto the dream space. You're just experiencing the dream lucidly. Then you are really privy to what's coming up for you in the future. I know that that does work because I've had many lucid dreams like that. And I do think regular dreaming actually speaks a lot about the future. And most people miss it because they don't pay attention, right? Or it's only in hindsight that you go, you get like, Oh, wait, I've had this experience of it, you know, but people are often the triggers for memory where you meet people and then you realize, Oh, I've actually I've met them in my dreams, whether lucidly or not. Um, you know, so I really think for anyone, I mean, it's just an incredible practice. Just regular dream work is an incredible practice if you are struggling with something because you're actually given guidance for the way to move through and you're also given information, you're given insight into potentially what's coming. So it's all helpful in my opinion. So can you give an example of maybe something that you've, if you feel so led, I mean, obviously you've written a book about it, but on your end of something that you've wanted to work through, maybe you were struggling to work through it in your waking days and you've used the dream state to work through it or to get to where you need to be. Right. So I've had, I recently had an injury on my eye, um, but something called surfer's eye, which I didn't even know about, but it's pretty much from getting too much sunlight. and it created this little lump on my eyeball and I went to the doctor and he said to me, you know, you can leave it, but eventually like a couple of years down the line, you're going to have to have this up. And I'm very much a mind body connection person. I do think we can reverse illness. I think we can do a lot of things in our waking life, never mind in dreaming. Right. So I really looked within myself, like why, why has this come up for me? What am I needing to, to sort of recognize in this illness? Like, you know, what's happening? I did like a lot of work on it in my waking life. And I'm a therapist by training, right? So I know when I'm full of crap and I just need to like <laughs> sort it out, just face what you don't want to face, you know, in a way. And it, it just remained. It remained. I figured out what it was. Like I needed clear vision. I was a bit off track and I needed clear vision. I was very angry about a situation that had happened. And I was finding it very hard to let go of it. That's not really normal for me. So I think it really struck me. And I, and it just remained, this injury remained, remained, remained. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to try heal this in my lucid dream. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to walk my talk here. And I, I tried to do it a couple of times and I lost lucidity for the first two or three times. I recognized, oh, I'm dreaming asked to be healed and then lost consciousness like I I just went back into a normal dreaming state and it didn't finish and then I finally managed to do it and it didn't heal entirely but it retracted from something I mean I know this is not going to be on a video but it went from being like a five centimeter like bump lump thing to like it's now like this minute 
little thing. And so I should, um, it's like one of my goals to go back and heal it fully. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's something that I did on a very active level in lucid dreaming. And there are a lot of other stories from a lot of other lucid dreamers who also speak about healing in multitudes of ways. And, you know, not, not just physical healing. It can be emotional. It can be spiritual. It can be if you're grieving or if you, you know, closure is such a big one. If you never had the opportunity to say goodbye to someone or mm-hmm. someone dies and they, you know, it ended really badly, lucid dreaming is amazing in, in that way. I think it is a very cool thought and practice of being able to communicate with someone that you've lost because it is a different time and dimension that you're able to physically, not physically, but spiritually and emotionally connect with them. And it gives you that validation and that confirmation. But I also think that if you can, I've given tips to people that if there's a person in their day-to-day life that they need to have a conversation with to do that through meditation or visualization, the same thing I imagine can be applicable in that dream state for sure as well. If you need to work through things or even just connect on another level. It's in some cases, it's not necessarily working through it as much as it is to, um, it is a tool, like you said, from the very beginning, a spiritual tool, communication tool for us to grow and learn from. Right, exactly. And I think there's also something here that's quite amazing, right? When we work with waking life imagery through meditation or through visualizing, you do a visualization to heal something, a relationship between two people. You're really working with image and dreams are the same thing. And the energy of it, I think is actually the same because you move your, I think your vibration, you vibrate higher and that allows you access into greater consciousness. And also if you've ever had experience of that in between state, between waking, sleeping and then dreaming, right? It's very, very sim- similar the experience of it's almost like walking through meditation and the the effects are so profound i really love the idea or i really promote the idea i should say actually that it's not dreaming or waking practices they go in tandem because there's a bi-directional relationship for both so if you can't it's just like you have more opportunity and more access to greater tools. So if you're really struggling with something, there's just another pathway, right? So that's kind of, yeah, I guess just one other amazing thing that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. What are some things like, so we mentioned in the beginning about just reflecting and trying to recall your dreams, even writing something down as far as like how you feel or if you can and you do recall things, specifics of those dreams. But what are some other tips or walk us through kind of an intention that you have in the book that you don't mind sharing with the listeners on if they're interested in either that waking state or lucid dreaming, we can pick something, right? But walk us through what that looks like. (laughs) So for your first question, right, when it comes to just remembering your dreams, there are two very pragmatic things that you can do. The first is on before you go to bed, obviously everyone I think by now knows it, right? Have good sleep techniques, have good things, create a good environment for sleep. But also just as you're falling asleep, if you can hold the intention that you will wake up and remember your dreams, I found that that really helps people and I know it helps me. And then the moment you wake up, there's this brief moment in time, and it's a physiological thing, where your mind, if you physically move your body, 
the way we store memory, it, sh- it can shift you out of storing the memory of your dream fully into memory, as weird as that sounds, right? And so if you lie still on waking, your dream actually should be more clear, clearer. And in that moment, if you can replay it, most people are then able to recall their dream, not just for like five minutes, but usually for much, much longer because it's been stored into memory better. So there's one of that. And then I've actually created a dream journal, which is coming at the beginning of November. And that is very much, um, I outline in the dream journal, like key elements that you can jot down feelings, like you were saying, right? The feeling state so important. I'd actually say the feeling state is probably the most important thing to remember on waking if there's what if you had to pick one thing that's probably it and then key symbols key people and transition elements like if you become quite good with your dream work the way we transition in dreams is actually very helpful um because we go from one place into another and if you can recognize the transition points you can, it most of the time you can see what repetitive themes are happening for you in an emotional and psychological point of view but also it can help you to become lucid, right? So that's very, very helpful and something that comes up organically. So for people who dream journal for like a minimum of three months, I get messages all the time from people like, oh my God, I didn't expect this. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect to. I never thought I would dream of the future. I've just dreamt of it. I never thought I would remember this. I've, I've remembered this. So just like a, amazing insights, right? And then for practices of moving through waking consciousness into sleep consciousness and then into dreaming, they're slightly different, right? The best way that I can explain it is that if someone is just listening to this now, if you just close your eyes and you see that sort of darkness that comes up for you naturally because your eyelids are closed, you start to see light speckles within your eye. And they've actually got a a scientific name, which obviously I can't remember now, but those, if you stick with this feeling state and you just relax and it's a very much soft awareness, you will see that eventually those lines, those patterns that can sometimes look a bit fluorescent will then become an image. And then if you can walk yourself through it, if you can remain aware, that image will become 3D reality. And that you've literally walked your consciousness from here we are into sleeping, into dreaming. The first time that happened to me, and this is a total spoiler for anyone who does get the book, I mean, it totally shattered my worldview, shattered it completely. I was actually, I'd say distraught is a really good word because the perception that there's this split just like ceased to exist for me. It's incredibly powerful because actually as we're talking right now, if we wanted to, you and I could probably drop into that state, dream with active intention, right? Dream dream we could go see things decide okay what do we want to know about it come back and and it will be accurate and it exists at all times so that's something also that i think is a very western notion that this dreaming space ceases to exist because it's something within the mind to me that is not accurate it's not something within the mind it's much greater our mind might be the connector whilst we on this level this plane but it's not all it is 
it's just the connector of it, right? And so the idea that these the two we actually this conduit for both realities and we just dismiss it so often. My mind is blown because you I just did that while you were talking. You know, you closed your eyes, I closed mine. Yeah. I recall when I was little when I would do that and I would start to see color. Like first the color, it would just black, like you said, the light, because you have the fractals that are coming in and then your eyes are adjusting, but it felt like space, like just colors swooshing. And I thought that was the coolest thing when I was little, because I was like, wow, I can see. And I described it as the universe or light. I never got to other visual things. I got outlines of things and all of that, but I'm going to try that. That was like really neat. So, uh, the, how incredible, what a great experience, right? Mm-hmm. And I, it's amazing. I love hearing people's stories of what they see um, in that in-between state. For me, it's often nature, but it, it literally gets built up. It's so hard to explain it and, you know, until you've experienced it. And most of the time, what will happen for people, this is also something really helpful to just keep in mind, is that it can take a couple of times where you might get to the point of colors and a visual or swirling, but it's not yet all around you, like how the room is around you. And that that just means that you probably fell asleep um, in terms of the normal way we fall asleep, right? And so that's just the practice of just staying a little bit longer in terms of conscious awareness, and then you're fully into dreaming. It's like a step, one little step away. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously you're very in tune, you're intuitive growing up. And then you mentioned you studied psychology. Um, You're a depth psychologist, of course, and looked into this. What was the idea of the book and how did you decide, all right, I want to put pen to paper and actually write this and get this out. What was that moment? So it's so funny. This book has been a very long held dream for me. When I was about when I was 20, I was very last, like I was telling you earlier, and I read, um, someone gifted me Louise Hay's book, um, You Can Heal Your Life. And I read that book and I knew that I needed, actually my calling was to write. And I didn't do anything with it for years and years and years. And then I hit like, I don't know what was happening. I was in my practice and I was doing one-on-one sessions with people very interesting and quite cool people. So I was very lucky in my psychological practice, actually, because I met very, I always seem to have very open-minded clients. But I realized, like, I, I was kind of hiding out in my practice and I needed to step and step up and do the work that I actually felt called to do. And I pitched an agent. My original pitch was not a dream book. It was a book on learning the language of the universe, which is probably will be my second or third book, right? And and then through that, I explained to her like how I connect usually. And then she's like, it's so part of you. Dreaming is so part of you. You just, this is the path, the pathway. So I took that and put it into dreaming, which made so much sense. I think sometimes when you're so close to things, you just don't see mm-hmm, them, right? Mm-hmm. And and that and the rest is history. And she she did what great agents do. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for you. I mean, in the very beginning too, you said something which is super powerful. And that is, especially in this line of work, if you're not living your authentic self fully to the extent that you should be, and I call it kind of hiding in that psychic closet or the abilities for all the reasons of why we haven't shared it more broadly outside of just our friend or family group. That's very important because that is literally stepping into your truth, that authenticity and holding that space and sharing that power and the abilities of it. And so I love the book. I just, one, the energy from it is is amazing. And then two, just I 
feel like I've been reading through it several times, even before this interview. So just wanted to say thank you for leading with that and writing it and getting it out there to the masses. And how can people get a hold of you? You mentioned also sessions as well that you offer or classes, I should say. So the best way for people to reach me currently is just through my website. It's www.athenalaz.com. I am less active on social media, which was very much a personal, I just decided that that's not my best on social media, much better on my website through my newsletter. And that's the main avenue. And I am going to be launching a dream collective, which is going to be a group of people who are interested in dreaming and waking day practices to open up the entire spectrum. And that's just going to be a very safe and containing group monthly. Um, so that's probably the best place. That's where I'll be pouring my energy into. Oh, amazing. Well, thank you. Is there anything else that you're feeling led by either your higher self or your spirits or guides that we didn't talk about that you wanted to share with the listening audience? I think just one thing. It's so easy to listen. It's actually so easy to listen. That's it. Thank you so much. Well, again, we appreciate you being a guest on the show and I will share all of this also in the show notes if you need to get in touch with Athena. Thank you for listening to A Psychic Story. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and join the conversation on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. All episodes are free on your favorite podcast player or at a psychicstory.com. Have a question? Is there a topic you'd like to hear more about or have a suggestion for a future guest? Send an email to contact at a psychicstory.com or leave a voicemail message at 1-800-880-1881. We'd love to hear from you and you may even be featured on a future episode. If you're interested in booking a session with me, you can do that directly on the website. And if you want to hear even more content hosted by yours truly, check out my other show, Supernatural Matters. Reminder that you are automatically entered to win either a free 20-minute intuitive or energy healing session with me if you leave five stars along with a positive review. Currently, reviews can be left on Apple, Stitcher, Podchaser, or CastBox podcast players. Don't forget to email contact at a psychicstory.com when you do, because it allows me to get in touch with you if your name is pulled in the drawing. Your name stays in until you win.